Make It Right, the manufacturing podcast. So you've heard of the sandwich generation. They're the adults that are sandwiched between the young children on one side, the elderly parents on the other, and they're trying to keep everybody happy. Well, there's the same group in business, but we refer to them as the middle managers. And in all likelihood, those people are the ones who hold it all together, both at home and at work. They are probably stressed and they are most likely looking for help. So welcome to the Make It Right podcast. I'm Janet Eastman, and this week on the show, we're looking at how to help those middle managers. My guests are two gentlemen who work with leaders to help get the most out of their teams. Dave McEwen's been on the podcast a number of times. He's a leadership consultant and author of a new book that's called The Self-Evolved Leader, and Kevin Snook is a leadership advisor and author of Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the front line to the bottom line. And you know, when guys write about this stuff, they've lived it and they know it. So gentlemen, welcome both of you back to the show. Hey, Janet, it's great to be back with you and uh, delighted to be back with you again, Kevin, as well. Thank you, Dave. And nice to be here, Janet. Yeah, I think we'll have a fantastic conversation. And honestly, we talk about leadership all the time. But usually we focus on that CEO, and I really want to talk about these middle managers and the key challenges that you guys are seeing them have. So Dave, you're out there all the time. What are middle managers struggling with? I, I really loved your metaphor, actually, there at the beginning, beginning uh, Janet, this notion of um, being the sandwich um, group of leaders. And you know, I'll, I'll deliver leadership training sessions on, you know, how to have difficult conversations or how to manage your time better or um, how to delegate more effectively to your team or just how to have more emotional intelligence. And, and, and no matter what the skill set is that I'm talking about, almost always um, the feedback or the questions that I get are some version of, this is all really good. Dave, but how can I control any of this? You know, I've, I've got my boss above me and the team of leaders that are above me who are typically in a lot of organizations putting a lot of downward pressure on, on the folks that work for them. They often have a tendency to shift priorities based on whatever their most recent leadership meeting was. And they come out and, and tell the group of middle managers, you know, great new idea. We're going in this direction or we're going to solve this problem. Or we're going to go after this client. And this group of middle management is left having to navigate those priority shifts, communicate that to their team effectively, get their team on board with the change, and, and kind of keep everybody at sort of arm's length to make sure that everybody's comfortable and happy. And, and, and I guess if I could sum it up in, in one sentence, it would be just this, this notion that they don't have as much control over how they show up as, as they would like. Mm -hmm. Now, Kevin, you're nodding there, and I know you see this all the time. Is that the same story every day that you see? Yeah, and Dave's nailed it, really. It's, uh, it's that whole idea of, um, yeah, thank you. That, that's, that's really good. I would love to do this, and I would love to do this with my team, but my boss won't allow me, or my boss won't understand it, or as I go and start doing this, I'm actually going to get opposite messages from mm. my boss. And um, and it, it, it's a huge issue. It's, it's kind of like that, um, 
you, you can feel this positive pull for, yes, I want more of this and I really want to do it and I believe in it and I, and I want to put it in place, but can you just go talk to my bosses and get that layer to get it as well? Can you get the next layer to understand it? And, and if we all understand the same thing, maybe something will happen. But if I just start doing it on myself, I'm going to be looked at like I'm some kind of maverick or weirdo and, uh, and I'm going to be pulled back to the norm. Mm, I, I think that's a huge one. Um, and, and actually when, and, and I have almost had the exact verbatim, somebody say, this is great, but could you please go tell my boss so that it's easier for me? And, you know, depending on the setting and the, rela- and the, and the relationship you have with the group of people that you're working with, that, that's almost often if not always not the case that you could just go into the room and do that. So, so we've got to figure out a way, first of all, to, to address just what that group of middle management can do. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Kevin. When I push back a little bit on that um, notion or that excuse, I, I, just by asking open-ended questions like, well, what have you tried in the past? What has worked? What hasn't worked? I, I don't always, sometimes I get the sense that there's a, a a sense of defeat before the battle that comes in because actually people don't tend to push right against the, the, the boundaries of where they can play. They, they maybe believe that the boundaries are there, but they don't necessarily push up against them as much. I'd be interested to hear if you, you sense that too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's almost like we've already, already given up, right? right. Uh, because we know what the boss is going to say. Right. And I've, I've I found this a lot in in that conversation. It's like, well, why why do you think the boss would say that? It's like, well, because I mean, he wants the business to succeed, right? And he wants to hear good ideas, and he wants people that are more taking more ownership and are more active. And I think what's happening is that people have this perception of a boss, mm. and that the boss is there to keep me doing what he wants me to do not that he is there to help me excel and to grow and to, you know, and, and, and in order for that to happen, there has to be a two-way conversation. I'm sure right. you see this with the consulting relationships as well. You, you go into some places and some people are just waiting, waiting you out, right? I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope that you go away at some point. <laughs> and then the best consulting relationships is where you go in and you have a conversation and people listen and they argue with you a little bit and they, they challenge you and then they try something and they come back and they argue and they challenge you. And it's a relationship that, that actually helps everybody in that relationship grow. And I think that's what we're missing sometimes with that boss subordinate relationship. Very much so. And I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right in that relationship bit and, and, and feeling comfortable in that challenge factor. Um, I talk about having adult to adult relationships in the workplace. And, and I think um, very much for in that subordinate position in some, not all, not all organizations, there's the sense that it will be career limiting for me to, to have a challenge factor to my boss, to really truly speak my mind. Um, and so we have a tendency to either be a little bit more passive aggressive, or we have a tendency to just give up before we started, or we just kind of, like you say, wait it out. This might just be the flavor of the month. This will pass by and I can get back to my real work once it, once it, it does that. But what I find is that ultimately when you end up in that position where you say, I don't want to try to make this better, you've, you've given up and that's not a very powerful place to be. Uh, I often say that when you're in a situation that you're not happy with or you're not comfortable with, you've really only got two choices. One, your first choice is to try to change it 
And if, if, if that involves having an adult adult conversation, you change it, great. The other option is to say, it's actually not worth me doing that. And, and actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite comfortable just the way that it is. And so if I you know, do the mathematics in my head, this is not a battle that I'm prepared to, to fight for or a hill that I'm prepared to die for. And that's awesome. Make that decision. Be aware about that. But then you've got to accept the position that you're in. Unfortunately, too many of us find ourselves in this third bucket, which we're talking about essentially, which is I haven't really challenged whether I can get out of this situation. I haven't accepted my fate, so I'm just going to sit here and moan and complain about it. And, and that's not a positive place to, to be in because it has an impact on your, your productivity, has an impact on your teams, and, and ultimately what you're delivering for your client. We had a consultant come to us once and talk to us, and this was when we were in radio, um, and the consultant said, there are, there are people who have basically given up at work, but we call them the quit and stayers. <laughs> like they just, they've quit mentally in their head, but they just stay and, you know, do the job and collect the paycheck. And you don't want those people on your team. It's, and, and, and nor would I argue, do you want to be one of those people? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, we spend more, more time in our life working um, than we do with certainly some of our best friends. And, and maybe even in some instances, um, uh, more than we spend with our family. What a way to, you know, to build your, your impact on the world to just come in and clock it in and clock it out. Um, and, and, and so I think I'd, I'd like to just elevate it back up towards kind of some, what can we do about it? If you find yourself in a situation where you're struggling, your boss is, 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 is making it difficult for you to implement whatever it is that you're trying to, don't accept defeat without trying, you know, go, go, go begin to like plan out what, what do I want to see happen here? What change do I want to see? What does success look like for me? How, how do I even begin to have this conversation and then go steal yourself, go have the conversation, um, maybe grab an accountability buddy and, and say, you know, ask me in a week whether I had this conversation or not, go execute it and, and then review how it went. Um, but I'm always constantly challenging people. Don't put those, that, that, that boundary, don't self-impose that boundary. Go and see where it's at, because then at least you can make a, a, a more informed decision about what you want to do about it. Mm -hmm. Kevin, I actually uh, interrupted you. Did you have something that you wanted to add to, uh, to Dave's well, comment part, earlier? Part of it was around what Dave was saying, around, or, or both of you were saying, around how it impacts other people. And what I've found is it's not only impacting your other colleagues at work. You know, you're a role model, whether you want to be a role model or not. You're on show as a leader in the, in the company. You're always on show. But you're also on show at home. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming home with that defeated attitude, like, I've, I've got no choice. I've just got to get on with this. This is the way it is at work. Um, I'm kind of miserable. and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being myself. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a horrible thing for anybody around you to, to feel for you. And, uh, and we, we can't help that, right? Because that's the energy we exude. So I'm full on with Dave. Uh, we have to find a way to have those conversations. We have to have that transparency in our organizations and, and be able to, as we, we talk a lot about what's the role of the leader and that's around listening and inviting these conversations. Mm. But for the subordinate, it's really about having the, having the bravery you know, you want to be the person who's willing to put your hand up and take a risk. And, and if you find that after a short period of time, um, the other option that Dave mentioned is that might not be the right place for you. You know, frankly, 
you don't want to go through your life feeling like you're being put on all the time and you're not having a chance to to express the gifts that you've got inside and so uh, there are certain times when the the right answer is to walk away as well mm -hmm. dave have you seen a situation where you have prompted somebody in middle management to go forward and speak to their boss can you share a story like that about how it worked out sure i mean i've, I've got tons of stories both some that went really well and some that didn't go so well but in every opportunity the person did some some learning um i was doing some work with a with a tech company a while ago and we were we were talking about the notion of just being able to wall off um the avenues for communication because that's a big one particularly for middle managers that we have allowed effectively anybody to interrupt us at any time in any medium that they want and assign whatever level of priority that they choose to. And we have to figure a way to deal with that. And so whether that's email or phone calls or text messages or IM messages, or if you're in a place where you're able to meet together in person, you know, conversations in the corridor. And I was having this, this um, conversation with somebody during the session who, who just was saying, my boss just contacts me in whatever way they choose, and it, you know, if they if they don't if I don't get a response on email right away, they'll 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 send me an IM, and if they don't respond, then they'll send me a text. If they don't respond, then they're going to blow me up, and it's it, it's just it's it it was the person in question was just causing them to have to respond again and over and over and over again, and interestingly enough, there's some research that's starting to appear. Um, that shows the effect of distraction on on the work that we're doing um uh, cal newport's written a couple of books on it which are really good and essentially what he's saying is the research is showing us that if we're in the middle of 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 doing some what he calls deep work and we get distracted by an interruption it can take our brain anywhere between 15 and 20 minutes to fully resume like activity up at the levels that we need it which was probably fine back in the eighties when you maybe got five phone calls a day and the mail came twice a day and that was about it, you know, but, but, but in this example, um, this, this person I was coaching was just struggling so much. And so, you know, I, I just started and said, well, what are your options? And they started to noodle through some things. And I said, what has worked in the past? They started to noodle some things in their head and, and eventually it got down to them realizing that, the only way that they could deal with this is to go and have an adult adult conversation. And so they made a plan. They said, you know, um, I've got a meeting. I think it was, you know, in two days time with my, my, my boss to talk about whatever. And they just made a plan that they were going to um, address it in an adult way and just say, look, this is really harming my productivity. I want to be as responsive to you as I can. Um, um, but we need to find a way to narrow some of those communication channels so that I can get back to you in a timely manner. I'm not, I'm not I'm, um, scrambling so much. And the person went and did it. And I think it was a month later, I came back with them and they just said, Dave, it was, it was brilliant. My, my boss didn't even realize that they were doing that. They just, they just had no idea. I thought they were going to, the person said to me, I thought they were going to get really angry or, or, or frustrated at me, but they just said, gosh, yes, that, that, of course, that must be overwhelming. And they were able to agree two or three channels or whatever and, and, and solve the problem. So that was, an, that was an example where it worked really well. Clear definition of the issue, strength to have an adult adult conversation. And they just you know, went and executed it and, and it went okay. Hmm. I'd like to know, how do you help middle managers who 
have assumed the role of a middle manager, but don't necessarily want that responsibility because some people do get elevated to those positions and they're just like, oh man, I don't want to lead. I don't want to lead. This is going to say something more negative and, and probably glib than it needs to be. If you have that level of emotional understanding about who you are, don't be in a management position. I, I mean, if you, if you truly understand and know that you don't want to lead people, you don't want to manage people, then you will be doing yourself a disservice and them a disservice um, because it's not going to work. Now, if it's, if, if it's more a fear and a hesitancy and a, and a, and a lack of belief on your ability to do it, but you want to, to, to get there. But that's a, a slightly different um, uh, different question, which we can certainly explore. But but my, it might just my initial answer would be, if you know you're not cut out for management, don't do it. Pick a specialist role. Go be excellent at what you do from a specialist perspective. Master that craft. And you know what? You might find a path to mentor some people later on in your career, to, to give some advice, guidance, and coaching to people that you don't have a direct line of, of authority over but i've had conversations um, with people where they're they've said i've got this uh, this option and i say to them well, you've got to think real long and hard about your intentions because the worst thing that happens is is getting stuck in the middle where you think you want the management position because everybody in our society tells us that that means you're successful um but you know deep down that you don't really and you get stuck in the middle and it's again you know back to the the same mindset that we talked about earlier which is you're just stuck in this position that you're not happy with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i see that a lot janet with um with technicians on production lines and, and frontline workers and and uh you know you can be the very best line operator and you're the lead line operator and you're, you're, you're running this whole piece of complex equipment and it's like well what comes next there's no there's no step up that is built into the organization mm. and so the only thing next is that you have to sort of join the junior ranks of management and they are completely different skills and they're completely different characters and and so um that i, I fully agree with dave that you've got to decide what is your path? Is it more of a technical expert? And that part that you mentioned, Dave, around, well, become a trainer. You know, you, you, you're the ex, and, and oh, you have to have certain skills to become a trainer as well, right? You don't have to sure. just have technical competency. But, uh, but somehow there's either you become the, the technical lead role and you're there as a specialist or you're the trainer, uh, you, but you've got to be very careful about being elevated to, a, to more of a people leadership position. And I think the funny thing with all of this is that, you know, it happens in, in a whole bunch of different uh, aspects where, uh, you know, there's a, there's a degree of technical or functional expertise uh, around a role. So you mentioned a couple there happens in, in, in software development all the time, you know, great coders become team leads. Um, it can even happen in, it happens quite a lot just in, in the sales function of an organization. I'm sure you've seen this as well, where our best salesperson becomes our sales manager, despite the fact that we have years and years and years and years of data that shows us that our best salespeople are not our best managers or best coders are not our best managers. Cause you hit the nail right on the head with it Kevin they're completely different jobs and I don't know why we know it instinctually in our organizations but it's always the easiest thing you know I need a management position or I need to give this person a career path so let's let's move them into a managerial role and um, where I see organizations 
get really good at it is having those clear lines for career progression that is technical expertise versus the leadership path and 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 also just having uh, uh, frank open discussions about how one is not better than the other um and 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 dispelling that myth that you're only being successful if you get promoted into those leadership positions because it's just it's quite frankly not not true you know but i, I think the truth on, behind that dave also is that you've got to pay the position mm. right because a lot of cases the higher paid jobs are the leadership jobs and you know frankly if if uh, if i'm running a factory and the factory burns down and i've got to start all over again then the people that I want are the people that run the production lines, not right. the people that are in leadership positions, right? They're the ones who are going to get the factory started again. And sometimes we don't give people the credit for the types of works and the skill sets that they have. We were working with a company just the other day and they were talking around, well, what, what skill sets do you need to be an operating team leader? Mm. We had like five pages of stuff that was like important, right? And sure. and you, you you've got this on your on your feet leadership all the time, and and it's a different type. It's not it's not the strategic thinking. You know, it, it's really on the on the floor leadership, and yeah. there's a skill set behind that. We've got to be able, we've got to pay for that. We've got to mm-hmm. recognize that they're the kinds of people that we really need. Yeah, very much so. Couldn't agree more. I think. Um... You know, when leaders are looking for people to elevate and move up up their management team because they need somebody in that role. Dave, you said it yourself, you know, don't get lazy and just pick that guy who's down below doing good, doing something else because he may not have the skill set. So how does the leader up here look down over his team and find those people if they are indeed within the company to to take on those roles that he needs filled? But I think first of all, you, with with any of this, you've got to start from the position itself, the the um, the hat and not the head. Um, in a lot of organizations, we have a tendency to promote people to positions and create the position for their promotion because we want to reward their you know their input um, into our organization, and you can end up with this mismatch. Um, confusing org chart that doesn't really mean anything. So we've got to ensure that the role that we want to fill is a role that's good and valid and needed for the organization in its current stage of growth and and probably also looking out the next couple of years. That means ensuring that there's a very well um, uh, clear set of roles and responsibilities and behaviors that are associated with it. When you start with the hat, then you can look amongst the folks that are on your team and essentially, you know, say, well, this is the role who's on the team that might be able to do it. Can John do it? Well, John could do it. He might need some development on his people skills, but we could get him there. Awesome. He's, you know, maybe put him into the candidate pool. Could Rebecca do it? No, she doesn't have enough experience. And you kind of just begin to assess the the match between the role and the person. Um, And and then I'm I'm a big advocate in, in running internal hires and promotions in the same way that you run an external one. So, you know, you don't just go and say, hey, we would love you to take this job, but we'd say, hey, we've got this job. If you're interested in it, we'd love for you to apply to it. We're going to, you know, go through a hiring process. We'd love you to go through that as much as anybody else. 
um, I, I'm a big proponent in balancing your um, uh, hiring and promotion from within with external hiring and promotion. I know a lot of organizations lean heavily on one or, or, or either, you know, one or, or the other of those. I think finding a balance is what helps create a diverse and innovative culture. Uh, the thing is you've got to put everybody through the same process because otherwise you're, you're not comparing apples to apples. Mm-hmm. I talked to um, a fellow, I don't know, many months ago, a Tom Marini from Marini Manufacturing, and he talked about how he had this family-run business. It had gone through his grandfather to his father, and he was running it, and he was now looking for somebody to prepare to take over the company eventually. And he went through that external hire, and he went through all this other stuff, and finally he just went, none of this is working. And so he he actually looked over his team and started working with a couple of people without telling them what he was doing, trying to see if they had what it took to take on. And he eventually weeded it out to this one fellow and they would work together. And the guy didn't even really know what was happening until much, much later on. And I thought that that was, well, very time consuming. Tom had to be super patient about how he was going about this, but he had the insights and the knowledge and he got what he was looking for. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great way to, to mentor the people on your most senior team into that position. I think the most public example of that, that we could probably put our finger on, uh, although I'm not privy to the behind the scenes conversations around it, but if I had my guess, I think that's what Steve Jobs did in Apple whenever he came back, um, because he he realized either before he knew he was sick um, and didn't have much time left, or just as part of his kind of own thinking about his life, he knew he wasn't going to be able to to lead Apple forever, and he had a fairly competent um, senior executive team. Um, there were people like Johnny Ive, uh, people like Phil Schiller, people like Tim Cook who ultimately got the job, and I, I can imagine he went through a similar process of identifying those folks doing some mentoring with them just seeing if they embodied what his belief was for for apple so that when he he handed over the reins it wasn't this um sense of a lurch to to another direction i'm completely guessing on that but as it played out in public that's what i could see was happening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kevin have you seen that anywhere have you worked with people like that yeah, I've worked with a lot of people like that. Not so, uh, not in the in the media like you know Steve Jobs, obviously. But um, but I, I I remember Tom being on the show and and I loved his story and he was very thoughtful about what he'd done. What what I like to to have as as a leadership role is you're watching this with all of your people at all the times. You're trying to find out what's their what I call a professional DNA, mm. right? What is it that they are specifically good at? I mean, we're all on different parts of different spectrums and where are they lying and, and what does that line up with? What type of roles would they be really good for in the future? And you know, when you find strong, talented people, you want to really keep hold of them. You want to make sure that they're being nurtured, they're being looked after, they're being paid properly. And, and they're there, even though you don't have a role right now for them, you're starting to develop them into that role so that when the role appears, then you're there. And, and if you've got a growing, healthy business, it might be a new territory. It might be you know, some, some new uh, expansive position. It might be bringing in new products, but there's something around there that that person is then targeted for because you know their professional DNA. 
I think another one other um, tactic that I've seen work quite well, um, kind of in and around what you're talking about there, um, Kevin, is to to actually have somebody um, go and do a, I don't want to say a job swap because that's too too low level, but go and, and work in a different function or division within the team, particularly if they've had a, a fairly linear growth, you know, if they've been in sales their whole life or, or operations their whole life and, and you're wanting to get that sense of do they have a, a well-rounded understanding of the business and what works, you know, go and, and put them on a... Um, on, a, on, a, on an assignment for six months to go run a team in another division just to, to see how they, um, how they go and, and how they round out their understanding of how your business works. Yeah, Dave, do you ever get this challenge though with something like that, that people say to you, yeah, but that's gonna take time. Yeah, but that's gonna be expensive. Yeah, we're not gonna have the, uh, my, my feeling around that is, yes, it's called investing in your people, right? And if you're not willing to invest in your people, you're not going to have the best people working with you. For sure. And it, you know, it goes down to, to I mean, that's just the age old debate. That's going to take too long and cost me too much money. And it's like, sure, but you're going to get a better result. You know, and, you know you're absolutely right. And, and, and I think also this fear of what if it doesn't work out? You know, what if we do develop in these people and, and, and they leave? And there's that old saying that it's way better to train your people and have them leave than it is to not have not train them and and, and have them have stay, them stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but isn't that the whole job of a leader is to elevate like to 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 create better like more leaders better leaders so that they can move on and and build their own thing I mean, I think absolutely. I think that we have to be way more selfless in, in how we view that. You know, I think we have to to approach the people that are on our team and, and want to help them grow into the best version of themselves. And if that means that they they stay with, with your organization for a while and you invest in them and develop them and then they get a, a better opportunity elsewhere, hey, that's awesome. You've just bettered that person's life. That's incredible. And yeah, does that make it a little bit icky and, and tough and you're going to have to do something else? Sure. But in the long run, you know, if you're if you're looking if you're looking at at building your own leadership legacy and just your own legacy um, in general, I, I would always take the position that development of people is is and, and watching them go somewhere else is is a way more enjoyable thing than than just keeping them constrained. Mm -hmm. There's a I have a real example on that, Janet, where. Uh, I, a guy, I brought a guy in from university and he, he worked with us for three years and he was, he was fantastic, right? He was just one of those engineers that was just flying and, and he came to me and he said, I want to, I, I, I want to move. I've, I've sort of got a plan to move to an oil company. And, uh, and I, I said, well, you know, I'd love to keep you, you know, but what, you know, what's going on? And he told me through and I said, look, there's, I, I can't do that for you here. You know, frankly, I cannot give you what you're looking for. And he left and he worked for the oil company and he worked for eight years. And I had no idea he would be back. I knew that I wanted what was best for him. And what was best for him at that point was to go and, and find his growth somewhere else. That's a great story. And that, that stuff, it just um, pays back in spades. You know, they either, you know, a, a lot of times folks will come back to the organization after a couple of years and an additional experience, or at the very least, you know, down the line, your paths cross again, they're going to think very highly of you. And, and, you know, there may be some opportunity to, 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 to you know, expand that relationship in the future. 
I want to uh, I want to get some key takeaways from both of you before we end this conversation. So I know we're talking about middle managers and the stresses and the things that they're trying to get to. We've taken some tangents and gone gone in all kinds of directions. But what would you be your key tips for those middle managers who are sitting there in the middle? They're trying to lead the people below them. They're trying to keep the the leader above them happy and keep the business rolling. How about some key tips, Dave? I would say control what you can control and not worry about the rest um, with a caveat that is, I bet you can control a lot more than you actually think that you can. Okay. Yeah, for, me, for me, I would say it's, it's around self-awareness. The more that the individual can develop self-awareness and feel where things are working and where they're not working and then be brave enough to walk into their fear and quite often with the middle management that fear is going up and talking to your boss and having that adult conversation that dave mentioned yeah i love i love that notion of, of bravery we um we've distorted what that word really means and and i think your your example is perfect there of, of being brave in those situations well, gentlemen, it's always a, an engaging conversation with both of you. I really enjoy talking to you both. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, Dave McEwen is a leadership consultant, and he's the author of this book. It's called The Self-Evolved Leader. Yay. Oh, let's see if we can get a better shot of that. Oh, I probably can't <laughs> see it there very well, something like that. And uh, it's been out since uh, early this year, I guess, say, Dave? Yeah, January, um, January 28th of this year, which is incredible. We're coming up on its one-year anniversary soon. Yeah, so congratulations. Thanks. And then Kevin Snook is uh, a leadership advisor. He's the author of this book, and uh, it's called Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the Front Line to the Bottom Line. You can tell I'm sitting in the library. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, it's always fun to talk to you. Uh, we'll chat again, Dave. So um, do stay in touch. And thanks very much for joining us for the Make It Right podcast. Thanks so much for having me on, Jana. Great to talk to you and Kevin as well. You're very welcome. That's our show this week. Please check out our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds that are on our podcast page. Subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues if you like. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Make It Right.